Welcome to Five Strike Weekly, everyone. This week, we take a look back at that soggy, wet, and very dismal performance against Columbus. Plus, we chat with Sirius XM FC's Jason Davis about Atlanta United. All that and more, coming up. Welcome to the show of Five Strike Fam. I'm AJ, this is Tanner McLeod. And wherever it is you get your pods, subscribe, share, and leave us a good rating. You can now also find all our content on the Genico USA platform anywhere in the world on Amazon Fire TV, Roku, iOS, Google Play, and many other streaming platforms. Not the best match to watch at all after a long international break, but the Five Stripes pretty much did their best impression of Michael Phelps instead of Lionel Messi. And yeah, it really begs the question, after 30 minutes, should this match have continued or should it even have been like stopped at one point to let the field be squeegeed? I mean, there's a lot of questions about that. Absolutely. And guys, Atlanta United are no stranger to playing in very extreme weather circumstances. Think of the second game ever, that first victory up in Minnesota, that was played in a blizzard. Then the return trip to Minnesota last season where it was a frozen tundra, not to mention trips to Colorado and Denver, and in Dallas, where it was very, very hot. Like a but, sauna. Yeah, like a sauna. But this this was right up there with probably Minnesota in terms of stupid games and weather that probably shouldn't have continued on. Right. Clearly in the second half, it was not possible to play anything close to resembling the game of soccer, but things continued on because MLS is, well, MLS. But all the weather things aside, Atlanta added were still poor in the first 30 minutes of the game, giving up that second minute opener, and from there, things really didn't get any better. Exactly. Uh, I mean, Pedro Santos with the second minute goal, I mean, just carving up our defense. All on the back post. I think, yeah, all on the back post where, or, you know, uh, front post for the second one, but it's, uh, or I guess in the middle of the pitch, whatever. Uh, anyway, essentially though, I mean, with that second minute goal, I mean, it's just, it just really, it exemplifies that maybe we're, uh, maybe not, uh, you know, outside of, uh, you know, getting right back from the international break, we weren't ready. Uh, you know, maybe the energy wasn't there. Maybe the awareness isn't there. Yes, it does kind of happen after a long layoff, but clearly Columbus crew were ready. Yeah, absolutely. They were ready from the get-go, as you can see by them getting a goal so early. And Atlanta did change shape. You saw Franco Escobar come back in at right back in a 4-3-3. And I think that was nice for a lot of people. I was excited to see the change of shape. But things just didn't really go the five stripes way. When you yeah. concede an early opener like that, uh -huh. a lot of your game planning goes right out the window. Yep. And as the game continued going on, the weather got worse and worse, and you already find yourself in a hole. You have you know, two really good chances that Zach Steffen makes great saves on. That's mm -hmm. why he's joining Manchester City. So you, you had those opportunities. And I think on the whole, Atlanta United fans were looking for an improved performance. And as far as chances created were concerned, this was the best one from the five stripes so far. They created 13 chances, which is more than any other game this season so far. And maybe minus the Herediano match at home aside. Yeah. But it's just like, aside from the improved number of chances, it didn't seem like they were very good for anything. It seemed like yeah, know, I mean, in terms Columbus of, were a better team than we were. Yeah, they, they definitely look like the better cohesive team. Uh, the link-up play was I actually was jealous of uh, how well they were playing, uh, especially in the same conditions. And so, I mean, you know, it's it wasn't like the, the pitch was, uh, you know, like DC United's where it was rocky or, you know, it had some patches here and there on purpose. No, this was like a carpet. It, it looked decent at the start, and then, 
yeah, thirty or so minutes in, it, it was a swimming pool. Of course, it was a swimming pool. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think the the team did look a little bit more, um, you know, more fluid in one sense where uh, they were taking uh, more chances and risks going forward. And that's kind of the uh, the addition of a Franco Escobar. You have someone that is capable of bombing forward, um, and with that four three three shape that they uh, they changed to, and uh, it was yeah, it looked a little bit more promising in that regard. But on a whole, I mean, I think there's still a disconnect uh, where yeah, you know, midfield still not really quite working well together yet. Um, you know, and I think Jose Martinez still is rendered a spectator, unfortunately. I mean, he, I think, had maybe like 10 touches, I think, the, the entire match. I mean, it's not, uh, not good when you have your MVP starved of any sort of service or, you know, just touches on the ball. But when he was on the ball, yeah, I mean, you know, he uh, linked up well and found the player on the left to, uh, you know, be able to garner a chance. But it's just, yeah, I mean, on a whole, still just very, very poor. I think my real, obviously you can criticize the defense at the beginning because that was poor. But I think after the 30 or so minute when you realize the game was going to continue, mm -hmm. some people got upset when uh, Joseph Martinez was subbed off towards the end of the game. I think sure. it was a smart move because you're trying to avoid injury at that point. Yeah. I think maybe trying to go route one a lot quicker, bringing Breck Shea on and just playing some knockdown long ball because that, that should... was clearly the only way that yeah. any you know type of offense was going to get happening. That was because... one of our best chances. Exactly. Carlson, you... yeah, if he had seen the ball, it might have worked out in a different if, way. If you look at the day. passing statistics in the second half, they were terrible. You couldn't yeah. really even play a of football and for a team that's trying to play possession passing football at Atlanta United mm -hmm. you, you can't really do it I made a joke on Twitter about how Barcelona couldn't even play in these conditions and then someone very you know snidely got back and said that Barca played in very similar weather last season they did but they have Messi and he's basically Aquaman so it doesn't count sure. but Atlanta United did not have a Messi yeah. didn't have a PT Martinez and it was clearly that you couldn't play the ball on the floor it was impossible Julian right. Russell at the end of the game is trying to is kicking the ball up and running after it kicking the ball up and right. running after it's it it's not it's like, not even really soccer at that point uh you know it's it's uh weird stuff uh, of course but it was 45% uh you know uh pass accuracy from the Columbus crew in the second half and it was 54 from LA United i mean just i mean on a good day it's 70% or so that's uh, good pack at pass accuracy uh, or bad. That's, that's bad. That's bad. I'd say for Atlanta, and, if this team is below eighty percent, that's bad. It yeah. should be eighty-five percent to ninety percent if you want to play this kind of system. Right. That's the pass accuracy you expect. And so what everybody Yikes. was watching was it was pretty horrendous. But I think though the fight from the team was there. I think uh, you know you didn't see them just lay down. They were trying to play through it. Uh, you know whether it was uh, ill-fated or not is kind of really the discussion, but um, I think I do want to commend Frank de Boer for uh, making those substitutes, and I think they largely kind of made sense, although, yes, if you are down, yes, uh, you know, taking a Jose Martinez off uh, is perplexing, but... Yeah, he's I think not the type of person to, to affect that game. I mean, I at think some if you, point, yeah, if you can't get the ball to him, um, it's one of those things. But um, yeah, I mean, and you can also even see it where, uh, I mean, a simple penalty where, I mean, I think a guy Iguain who is pretty clinical in, on penalties uh, and has scored them against Braguzan, especially against us in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a really, really poor penalty, and Braguzan also he guessed the right way, and so uh, yeah, I mean, positives, very. Positives. Very much a positive, uh, <laughs> but 
And also, I guess the other positive is that Carlton got some minutes and yeah, I mean, decent at times. I mean, had the ball not been you know stopping after every touch, it would have been nice. But he he did some decent things. It's it's good that uh, yeah he's getting minutes, but I'm also. I had a question of why he was brought on to begin with, because he's a guy who's more of that, uh, you know, player that passes on the floor. You don't really need him in this match, I don't think, either. But it almost worked out. But I, I think, you know, uh, a Romario Williams, he arguably, when he was on, I mean, yes, it was a little bit more his conditions. Uh, yeah, he looked like one of the better players on the pitch, and you know, he's he making was... some runs, trying to get in behind, exactly. trying to do some stuff. Yeah. So that was good. It's, mm-hmm. if he's a player that. If he can get some confidence and get some production out of him, that's a really nice asset to have. Mm-hmm. To someone to spell Joseph or to bring off the bench if you need goals. Yeah. Having someone who's confident in front of net, that, that's yeah. a good thing to have. And netting yeah. a hat trick and sending some people for to the shops for some sweets is not too bad either. So he sure. clearly had some confidence. I think, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about this game for too much longer, only because I think it's kind of hard to really draw too, too many conclusions for this sure, one. Sure. Frustrating, especially when on Sunday it was perfectly mm-hmm. sunny in Columbus and they yeah. could have, you know, just gone out and played early that day or something or whatever sure. it is. But that's I, that's I think the, that, the larger problem, I think, in that Yeah, it's like to... how how does MLS going forward? I, and I, I'm not using this as a crutch or as an excuse for the team yeah. losing. Because the, the team was at, poor on the day and they deserve to deserve lose. to lose. Yeah. On a wider discussion, though, at what point do you have to stop playing some of these games? Because this yeah. isn't the first instance of this happening yeah. with MLS playing stupid games. Portland yeah. and Colorado played a game in sub-zero, super sub-zero conditions that yeah. shouldn't have gone on earlier this season already. Atlanta had, had that, first, that second game ever against Minnesota. That game probably shouldn't have happened. I mean, you look at teams in the Premier League and they don't even play in conditions like this at times. If it rains this hard and the pitch can't hold, they're not going to play football on it. So no. I think it's, it's a question not, that it's not good for optics. No, because it's bad. No one enjoy. No one's going to flip through, watch that, and go, "I'm going to watch this." It was objectively bad to watch, yeah. and it's a bad product to put on the field. So mm-hmm. why are you allowing it to happen? I mean, yeah. what is the referee doing? Yeah, and especially, yeah, I think that's the problem is that the referee was not really uh, assertive enough to say, yes, you know, uh, let's stop the game right now for maybe even to squeegee the, the pitch a little bit, to at least let the the standing water that are just present on the wings completely to, yeah, let's let it kind of uh, go to the sides and let it dissipate a little bit. I mean, none of that. And then, yeah, he just wasn't, you know, just steadfast enough to say, yes, uh, you know, with this condition right now, even with the next day, it's, it's not like it's a Sunday. You know, it's not like we're gonna have to play it on a Monday. Like there's still an extra day. Like it's perplexing at the very least, perplexing. Yeah, uh, but I mean, on the whole, I guess it's just three more points dropped, or you're still you're in last place in the East right now. I mean, that that's where you're at. You have a game in two weeks' time against New yeah. England. I think for me, for me, I think that game in two weeks is really the tipping point because we'll preview that obviously next week on mm-hmm. on, on the show. But I think a lot of people you could see are really starting to to, to, to tip towards the we need a new manager that this guy might not be the one for us after this game. I don't know if this is necessarily the game to really formulate that opinion off yeah, of. It's, it's still, unfortunately, not the uh, correct assessment that you can yeah, make. I, I because think, it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, in terms of the uh, the performance, you can only judge the first 30 minutes. Who knows what could have happened in the second half? Exactly, I mean, and especially if the team actually was uh, if efficient in front of goal, unfortunately, yes, you run into a Stefan uh, in front of that. He kind of has our number, yeah. historically speaking. Yeah, historically, <laughs> at least 
Well, okay, in the regular season, we've scored past him. And so, you know, us taking that L for the first time in the regular season does really annoy me. Uh, yes, he was uh, standing on his head in the playoffs, and that's where, yes, this, uh, you know, uh, assessment of, of yeah, yeah, the legend of Stefan has started. But uh, this is where, yeah, I think maybe the confidence of scoring that, uh, that uh, uh, second-minute goal uh you know, the Columbus crew, they pretty much, you know, they knew what kind of match it was going to be. They felt comfortable after that goal. Had exactly. Because they knew that Atlanta United was going to have to, you know, come out, search for that goal. And yeah, I mean, uh, after that break, I mean, it was, I, I think it's also that. I mean, both breaks essentially were, you know, at least coming into, uh, the, you know, onto the pitch, we were not ready. Like, yeah. You know, both times we were caught flat-footed, and uh, especially that, that Jossie Zardes goal. It's there is a lot of ball watching right now, and there's just not enough movement on attack nor defense for me. That's may maybe the uh, the main thing is yeah, like our you're, players you're look lethargic. You're not poor on one side or the other. You're poor at both. Yeah, and this is something that Frank DeBoer has talked about yeah. wanting to work on the defense. Well, in this match, you couldn't mm -hmm. really see it. So for me, I think it's this New England game in two weeks is really. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to so. say, but I think it's a key game for his his managerial career because they're a very, very poor side. You have two weeks. Most of your team is going to be fit. Obviously, Franco Escobar, who we'll touch on later in the injury report, has picked up another injury, which is really, really frustrating. But I think Julian Gressel can play that right back spot. He has yep. before. And but I we'll think get it there. Functions we'll get more, there. Yeah, it functions. In a, I think he can do it. But it's just like you're going to have two weeks to prepare for that game. Let's see how New England goes. If New England's a very disappointing result, then I think that's when you can really start to raise some serious questions about Frank DeBoer as our manager. Yep. I just don't think the Columbus game is the one where you can really start pinning things on because yeah, it well, was just really difficult to make an assessment after 30 minutes. The next three matches, pretty much, I think, are must-wins. And, you know, especially yeah. with the level of opposition that we have, I think that's where we really need to evaluate, uh, you know, and two of those matches at home, one yeah. against the Colorado side, who you absolutely should beat. They're one of the, the if not uh -huh. the worst side in the league. A New England team that is objectively terrible in an empty stadium. And then you have a decent Dallas side that you should see off at home nonetheless. Yeah. So, so we'll see what goes. We just have to back the boys in all those games and mm -hmm. give everything we can, both for the traveling fan base and for the fans at the games here in the bins. And let's see if we can, you know, motivate the boys and get them through. That's what we can yeah. do as fans. But I, until I think that's, then, yeah. let's, let's just see what happens. Yeah, I think really though, big up those fans that went up there. Oh my God! Give, sat through that. Comp all of them. Just Seriously. comp their ticket. Yeah. Just give Bravo. them another one. Like Seriously. those people. Some of the seventeens that are so passionate about traveling yeah. these away, and they can afford it. And they can afford it. <laughs> yes, but they're still passionate enough to do it. Yeah. And it's like that's something that misses. I think it's a big missing factor in, in yeah. MLS. Those fans that are doing it, guys. You know, you do the seventeens proud. You do all yeah. of us proud. You guys are absolute road Keep warriors for that. Keep and even up. the Columbus fans who stayed that whole game, yeah. Columbus should comp those people's season ticket. Yeah. A, for having to play in that stadium, which is just terrible. And B, for sitting through that rain and just the craziness that has been the last couple of years for them. Those fans are the real fans. They deserve their season tickets. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're actually showing up after the uh, the Save the Crew bits. So, and yeah. they brave the weather. Yeah, so exactly. I give them I give them credit, too. Yeah. But, uh, guys, let's move on into the news and some post-game uh, reactions from the players and the head coach. Uh, first one to me that really stuck out to me was the contradiction, I think, with what Frank DeBoer said and what Brad Uzan said. And so, uh, you know, Frank DeBoer, he first mentioned on whether results of the first four matches reflect their quality of play. 
He said, sometimes we did and sometimes not. But I think today, of course, when you can see where you go, it's your own fault. Afterwards, you know, I think we weren't the worst team on the pitch. And maybe sometimes we were equal and sometimes we were better. But we have to. Sometimes it's also not luck. And then, interestingly, Brad Guzan says on um, playing under the inclement weather and the, any positive takeaways from this match, yeah, you try not to get injured. Listen, there's no doubt about it. We weren't the better team. But the conditions in the second half, it was a disgrace to be out there. Well put. Well yeah. Put. It's, uh, that's what's the contradiction is that, yeah, Brad Guzan pretty much acknowledged, yes, they were not the best team on the pitch. Uh, that was the crew completely. But I think, yeah, I mean, Frank de Boer has mentioned there that, yeah, he thought that sometimes we were equal. I mean, yes, we were creating some chances, and yes, they were uh, maybe equal to our chances in terms of Stefan, but, uh, I mean, it's frankly put, they were more efficient than we were. And so, yes, maybe we had a slight little bit of possession uh, more than they did, but, um, yeah, but, and that's the thing, it's like, you know, we weren't uh, by... It, at any point this season, we weren't played off the pitch no. really yet. So, yes, there is that. We haven't been ruthless in front of goal, and that's maybe one of the main factors. So, yeah, it's on the players as well, for sure, that they haven't been performing. Uh, they haven't maybe been taking to the system as well as we would want them to, maybe. But it's also, I think it's, it's a marriage of all of that. Like, it's not only uh, the head coach, it's the players, it's... I think a little bit of the front office as well, not getting in the right players uh, that, in terms of maybe depth that we need, and maybe I'll get into that, or I'll just get into it right now. Basically, we need a right back, right wing back depth, uh, you know, because basically, uh, Frank de Boer has mentioned that he didn't play a 4-3-3 or a four-man back line because he prioritized having uh, Franco Escobar in the lineup for that. And without him, that's why he went with a 3-4-3. So, with that being said, it's like, okay, so front office, that's a failure because they didn't bring what we've been mentioning all offseason. We need a, you know, depth at right back and depth at right wing back. And clearly, Frank DeBoer doesn't rate a Gordon Wilde or a John Gallagher enough to play them. Uh, and so maybe a Mikey Ambrose has to play inverted as a wing back. That's just, it's not, uh, you know, it's, I don't think it's, it's just not good enough. And Julian Gressel, uh, you know, not even being tested once at right back at all when I think at any point, uh, you know, it could have been where against a team that uh, maybe sat back a little bit more, yeah, you can have a Julian Gressel as a right back, especially if you put a Jeff Lorenowitz in the middle, uh, then you can have Jeff Lorenowitz slide in in between the, the two center backs like we have in the past under Tata Martino. Then Gressel moves up. Then you have wing backs that can move up and down. Uh, and, you know, yes, he might be a little bit more susceptible defensively, but I think you can gain a whole lot moving forward with, uh, you know, Julian Gressel. So that was something that at least perplexing why it wasn't really tried uh, early on. So, yeah, a lot of that, it, it comes down to the lack of depth from the front office. And that's uh, pretty damning, in my opinion. 
I think one of the things you have to take into account is the fact that you are somewhat restricted by roster rules. Sure. And all and the different Tam and Gam, all yes. the different stipulations Does and matter. MLS does apply to you. And I think Darren Neal switched a little bit on that when he talked about opening the purse strings. And sure. if you're allowed to invest and have a bit more depth and too deep at all the positions that are decent players, but that, we, that helps let's you. be honest though. But like, I mean, we, maybe we, maybe you think that for me, I think that Julian Gressel. I agree with you. I think Julian Gressel can do a job there. I think when you're playing against teams that are more than likely to sit back and play deep, mm -hmm. you you want your fullbacks to function as wingbacks anyway. They're gonna be higher up the pitch. Sure. You're going to get that with Julian Gressel. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of depth and signings, you have to look at the left as well because sure. you have some players there, but not exactly any of them are ideal to function as a wingback in a system where they can overlap, but also have the work rate to get back. Uh -huh. I agree with you in terms of Lorenowitz. I think that's something that is very comfortable. Although maybe with the the, the way that Asiedu is playing, you can find a way to bring Asiedu in. And a midfield three of Nagby, Asiedu, and, and Rometty is really hardworking, is going to cover a lot sure. of ground, but mm -hmm. I think there's definite questions to be asked all around. I think that defense is something that kind of has been neglected because all the all of the firepower and everything is on the sexy side of the field, on the offensive side where you want to see goals, but you're not getting that right now. Right now, you're not getting a whole lot of anything, so I think mm -hmm. that if United keeps struggling, everyone has a hand in it, from the front office to the players to the coaching staff. Mm -hmm. and I think that that's something that if they can continue to, if they continue, not if they can, if they continue to play poorly, I think that's more and more pressure goes on everyone to, to, to look at themselves and do it. Positives is you you have a, a transfer window in the summer where yep. maybe if you have some money, either if other players are moving on or if you are able to bring in some depth, I think that that's something that you need to look at. The yeah. team addressed that last year with uh -huh. Eric Hermetti. So yeah. maybe that is something that they can see, they've noticed it and they can do something about it. Mm -hmm. And DeBoer maybe, has looked at and said, this is the type of player and these are the players I need to continue to improve. So we have to see what happens, but it is very frustrating right now for sure. Yeah, but in, in terms of like, maybe there not being enough money to sign a backup right back, right wing back. I mean, yes, maybe like locating the guy that Proctor Bohr wants. I mean, but I think at this point, I mean, with Franco Escobar, you know, an unknown uh, period of time that he's going to be out. Again. Yeah. It's going to be a sense where, yeah, you need that depth because, I mean, we need a body. Yeah. We need I, a body that has MLS absolutely experience. absolutely need, need a body. And maybe there's a free agent out there or yeah. some, something somewhere, but... I don't know. I think I think it's yeah. they're in a very difficult situation right now, and to have the miscommunications between your your one of your leaders and Brad Guzan and your manager, it's not a good look either. Mm -hmm. And I think you're getting a lot of very stereotypical Dutch manager speak that you, yeah. you see historically from managers of, of this type uh -huh. with say Louis van Gaal at Man United or Ronald Koeman at Everton or Southampton. You kind of get these you know these interesting ways of saying things and, and it can get really frustrating at that times. And I think that's something that DeBoer is consistently doing and he's not helping himself in terms of the fans because he keeps mm -hmm. saying things that are contradictory. And when you have poor performances, this is why fans get frustrated. But, sure. you know, on the whole, we touched on the chances part earlier. Yep. I mean, we did create more chances in this game than yep. we had in any other game so far, and it was in the pissing rain. Yeah, and, you know, he said about the, you know, the 4 through 3 lineup that it was, you know, uh, I'll read it, quote, it was to get more bodies and support for the goals. Also, I think it's a better system. So yeah, I've been banging on about that for a while for about sure. about getting more bodies charging in and around the box mm -hmm. to give players options. 
I think what's kind of unfortunate for DeBoer in terms of the Columbus game is I appreciate that he's trying to change the shape and do something different mm -hmm. and adapt. But the negative is, is that when you give up a goal like that, which can happen when you're trying a new system, sure. when your team has been gone on international break, they're not you, acclimated. Your team's to not it, acclimated. So. They haven't had that time to train in that system, which is an excuse, but it's true. I'll give him that. Mm -hmm. And then it starts pissing down rain. It kind of throws all of your plans out the window. Yeah, it's just sure. really frustrating for him to see that because he can't control the weather. So it's sure. like that that mm -hmm. that hurts you. And if you can create chances in that, then then that yeah. that's a good sign going forward. But mm -hmm. I still think for a lot of fans, it's regardless of how many chances they created, mm -hmm. it was still a disjointed performance. And sure. it brings up the fact that he has still not won a league game for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, essentially though, he has not won a league match in any of the leagues that he's coached in since October of 2016. That's and damning. Yeah, for, for context, I that's when- I didn't live in Atlanta yet. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, there's that. There's Jurgen Klinsmann was still the US men's national team manager. Uh, the Colorado Rapids were second in the Supporter Shield Wait, race. what? That That's tells insane. you all you need to know. Yeah. So totally, it's right now at this point about what uh, about 880 some odd days. Uh, I mean, it's only nine games, unfortunately. And that's two goals scored and 15 goals conceded so far. Um, not, not, um, yeah, not, not, not ideal. Not, not good, not good. But um, yeah, but on the flip side again, you know, it's that uh, how many chances we created this month. It wasn't a coincidence that we changed to a 4-3-3. Uh, yeah, with 13 against Columbus. Uh, I mean, in Philadelphia, it was 10. Uh, Monterey was seven. Uh, Cincinnati was seven. Monterey was three and at DC was five so I mean on a whole it's trending in a better direction it's just you know our team has to be more clinical in front of goal as well but uh, I think another really crazy stat uh, is that we're number one on the top five worst starts from MLS defending champions and that's uh, two points zero two and two uh, that beats out the 2009 Columbus crew with two points as well. Um, and LA Galaxy with three points in 2012. DC United at uh, three points in 2010. And Houston in 2008 with three points. And then uh, tied with LA Galaxy in 2003 with three points. And that's after four games. But uh, there is to note that, yeah, the Columbus crew, I believe, did win the Supporter Shield, I think, in that uh, 2009 season. Here's so. my thing. It's been four games in the league. Yeah. And I think a lot of people were really frustrated at the Champions League. Sure. And that's fair. But mm -hmm. it was also a learning experience, I think, is the best way to mm -hmm. look at it. And it should be a learning experience. Mm -hmm. And if it's not being treated as one, well, that's a mistake being made by the club. Yeah. As far as the league goes, which I think is the thing that Atlanta needs to focus on the most, it yep. has only been four games. Mm -hmm. and But eight games total. Eight games total, so yes. So it's a larger yes, eight sample Eight games total, size. yes. But I, I honestly, my thing is that if you stand back and look at it, Frank DeBoer has had to deal with so many things that are not mm -hmm. ideal for a new manager coming in. Not to mention you're coming in with the looming shadow of this team having just won a championship. Yeah. So that adds extra pressure to yeah, it. Yeah, there's always going to be a If we were coming into this mm -hmm. season, not off of a championship season, I think everyone's talking about this in a little bit different way. Yeah. You'd still be frustrated, but it's not like, well, this team won a championship, which yeah. is the thing that keeps getting, you know, he gets keeping smacked over the head with, which is fine. Atlanta has 30 games left to play mm -hmm. in Major League Soccer this season. 
I need to see improvement against New England. I think that that's something that has to happen. But I think right now, for me at least, the reason why I'm managing to stay somewhat sane uh -huh. is that I'm trying to think of the long-term goal and the mm -hmm. long-term strategy. And that's something that I, you know, that I agree must be balanced. Mm -hmm. you, you can look long-term, but you also have to be acceptable on the field right now. Mm -hmm. You are one of the league's biggest teams. You have to be up near the top. And I think mm -hmm. that the players are good enough to do that. Yeah. But I understand that I think DeBoer was brought in here to, if Tata laid the foundation, Frank DeBoer has been hired to build the floor. He's been hired to help evolve into what I think is trying to get as close to an Ajax Barcelona style of play as possible with possession and attacking, which is really good, mm -hmm. with building youth and building from within, which is important. We have him for his youth experience, mm -hmm. which he got from Ajax, who modeled their academy after Ajax Barcelona mm -hmm. as well. We are following models of clubs. It's year three. If someone had given you the option, before Atlanta had ever played a game to say in your first three seasons, you will miss, you will lose the first round on penalties. You may miss the playoffs, but you'll win an MLS cup. Those are your first three seasons in any order. You would have signed up for that in the beginning to, to begin with. Sure. There's so much football left to but, be played. But it takes but away. It, is, it does take, it's boring. And I get no, no, that. No, no, that's no, the no. biggest problem. No, it takes away the context, which is what Atlanta United sold us and all the fans on is that yes we're going to play very attractive football we're going or soccer whatever uh and we're going to go for it we're going to on a global scale really try to change the game and that's really what they uh sold everybody on and yes whether uh you know they are always successful or not i mean at this period of time it is the uh it is the antithesis almost of that and it doesn't matter that, yes, the results aren't there. Like, it's not about that for me. It's that the soccer isn't there. Like, yeah, I, the, the, I accept that. The style is not there. And so that's what a lot of people, I think, are upset about. Uh, yes, you have more of the casuals that are also, yes, uh, you know, uh, they're not winning. And so, oh, why do we suck? And, you know, blah, Plus, blah, I mean, blah. It, it's fair. And the fact that people are passionate about it is important because sure. it shows that the sport is growing. Yeah. My thing is that... If you have to sacrifice some time of play, if we have a shitty season, objectively, if, if we finish seven, but that was required in order for next season for us to come out and blow the doors off people, then I accept that. If you have to play and you struggle for a season, mind you, I don't want to see that, mm -hmm. but I'm trying, the only way I'm saying positive is the front office is thinking long-term. They're thinking of what they want to do. There has to be a way to balance it where you can play attractive football. And with these players, you have the players to do that. I would I agree. I would, but, I would say the long-term, if uh, if he was actually rotating uh, to the younger players where he was giving them time early on the season. But it's not been then, an ideal start with well, twice a week. You haven't had it a good preseason. That's the thing where he didn't prioritize. And so CCL, when you probably should have played your better players, yes, yeah, you want to, you know, integrate them into the system that you want to play, but that's where it was, I think, wrong for me as well, that he should have probably, you know, finessed the older system uh, or the incumbent system already first and let them play with what they're familiar with instead of kind of trying to change it. everything. Yeah, first. exactly. Especially when, you know, the front office is even saying that. They're saying that, you know, evolution, not revolution. And then it just is completely the opposite. Maybe That's, they thought it would be an easier changeover well, than what it a was. A 3-4-3 is one of the hardest systems to adapt to. 
But to be so, fair, when he was hired, Franco Escobar wasn't out for six weeks, so he wasn't having to change that. So it's like sure, you've but had you adapt. Things, you've you've got to adapt. I agree. I agree that you have to adapt. I'm just saying that there hasn't been an ideal beginning for Frank DeBoer. I think it ha- it, I agree. It, it's hasn't. not. It hasn't. He hasn't yeah. had the great. He has not had the complete package put in place for him sure. in order to succeed with how everything has gone. That's why for me, it's like you have two weeks of training with your full squad to put in place mm-hmm. whatever system it is you want. Mm-hmm. If you can't get that down in two weeks of training against each other to figure out what you want to do against the poor New England side, then maybe he might not be the guy. But he has had excuses, in my opinion, of not having a squad, sure. not being able to mm-hmm. train, not having days off, not having everything set up. Mm-hmm. This is his time now. So go out, work your ass off on the training ground, give me an improved performance, and show me what the hell we're going for. If you cannot do that in two weeks, then you're not going to hear me making excuses for him anymore. Because mm-hmm. like I said, I'm trying to look at it and say, long-term, what are we trying to do? Atlanta United 2 is playing really well so far this season. He's trying to change our structure so that Atlanta United is bringing through, consistently bringing through, high-quality young players from Atlanta to the first team that we can sell or that can really you know, be a centerpiece for this team. Because every good team in every league that has been historically dominant in leagues, whether it be Barcelona, Manchester United, Bayern Munich, Juventus, all of them have a core of homegrown youth players. Frank DeBoer was brought here to help develop the academy to bring through youth players. That's why he, that was what Darren Eel said, Carlos Bocanegra said, that's what it is. That takes years to happen. That won't happen for four or five more years. Atlanta United has to be the best team in the league in 2026 when the World Cup's being hosted here. We have to be a poster boy for the sport in this country. That is seven years away. Atlanta United has to build to that. This club is in year three. Mm -hmm. We haven't even fleshed out our full tradition yet. We haven't had enough heartbreaking losses and cup finals and everything to really say what this club is. It has a strong foundation, Mm -hmm. but we're still growing. We are going to have seasons that are not good. Mm -hmm. We are going to have games that are not good. It is going to happen. But I think but mm -hmm. But we have to see something that gives us hope. And right now, it's bad. If If that doesn't change, then all of that means nothing. Because if you can't win on the pitch against some bad teams with good players, then how are you going to win with good teams and youth players against, yeah. you know, in the big ones? And so that, we'll yeah. see what happens. That's that's the main sticking point also as well, is that our players that we currently have are, you know, much better than what the results have shown. It's not like we're rolling out there with, you know, a squad that is just, yo, yeah, like, you know, it's not worth $67 million or whatever, you know, the whole roster is worth. It's, yeah, like, we are very, very talented up and down the lineup. And I think it's just, you see a lot of confused faces on the pitch on what to do, what they, what their actual role is, what their instructions are. And so, yes, that does take time. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, as you said, the results on the pitch right now are also very important because yes, they're losing some of the, uh, you know, the more casual fan base that, uh, you know, have bought into what I think the uh, the front office has sold. said, what yeah, they were sold. the front they office were sold has said, excitement. Yeah. this is boring. <laughs> exactly, and I think that's right for them. It's right for them to be critical Absolutely. because it, they have a, a right to be because they are paying customers of this, and you know, the product's if, not good. Yeah, exactly. If you're being told one thing and then you're paying for it, and then it's something else, then yeah, I mean, you you have a right to say something. Say, say you're a bald person and you're told a hair product helps you grow your hair. If it doesn't help you grow your hair, it's not a good product, and you're not going to pay for it. If you're told this team's going to score goals, but then they score no goals, well, then you're not going to pay for that because they're not scoring goals. Yeah. 
Long story short, this team just started scoring goals, winning games, getting three points, and winning cups again. But guys, let's hope that that yeah. can happen. Moving on. Yeah, moving on, we digress. Uh, into the injury report where Franco Escobar, yes, like we said, he did Yay. come out of the match uh, and uh, with an adductor injury, and that's the uh, inner thigh, uh, big muscle there on the quad. And that's uh, what Darlington Nagby suffered from last season. Yeah, and which, I mean, hopefully it's not as bad, but it was around two months or so that Darlington Nagby was out. But so far, no timetable has been announced, and that's of uh, as of Monday when we recorded this. So it, hopefully maybe we get a... A little bit of a, an update later on this week, but uh, also Gonzalo Martinez, PT Martinez, uh, has been uh, running on the the field, and uh, so at least he, you know, is not uh, just completely crippled. So that's good. And it is um, two weeks, so thankfully he, exactly. he has that extra He's got week, time. so he can yeah. takes time get that recovery down. Because it's a hamstring injury, I believe, which those can mm -hmm. be a bit finicky, and I'd rather him be fit than not. But he is a player that I would like to see in training so that this system can be worked on, whatever system that may be. Indeed, indeed. But uh, also, speaking of uh, right backs or right wing backs, uh, former five-stripe Anton Walks, congratulations to him and Portsmouth for winning the Football League trophy. The Checker Trade trophy. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, seeing five stripes uh, that have moved on be successful, that warms my heart at least. It's actually so. a really, really good game as well. And for those who don't know, the Checker Trade Trophy is kind of like the FA Cup, but it's only open to the teams in the in uh, League One and League Two, I believe. And it was Portsmouth versus Sunderland at Wembley. 85,000 people for this cup game, which tells you a little bit about how passionate these fan yeah. bases are. And Portsmouth and Sunderland have had a lot to hurt about. So if you yeah. think that things are tough right now in Five Stripe land, Portsmouth and Sunderland fans have been through yeah. the ringer. If Think that team in Florida, but like 50 times worse and being relegated to like twice. USL 2. Yeah. That's basically what's happened to these teams. But yeah, 2-2 two -two draw, one in penalties. Good for Portsmouth, good for Anton Walks. Mm -hmm. Good to see him doing well. Indeed, indeed. But uh, guys, uh, so our Facebook page unfortunately has gone down, uh, unbeknownst reasons to us. But essentially though, uh, we really need your help in gaining back that numbers, uh, the numbers, the engagement, everything, because we have so much awesome content that we want to put out to you guys. But unfortunately, we have to start from zero again. And uh, so we will have the link to the page in the video description box below. And please uh, share with everyone you know about uh, Atlanta United Fan TV because yeah, we're, we're here to really just continue doing what we do and we want to be able to do that and without that Facebook page it's a it's a hindrance for sure but uh, so we really really appreciate all of that if you guys can do that for us but let's move on to where we have a special guest from Sirius XM and it is Jason Davis welcome to the show Jason thank you so much for coming on the program we just, uh, yeah, we have to first chat about what you think about the, the crazy start in MLS so far. We'll get to Atlanta United in a few, but I think uh, <laughs> the slow starts from New York Red Bulls, NYCFC, yeah. the Portland Timbers, etc. It seems like parity is quite the case right now in MLS. It, it always is. Um, you know, I think parity is probably less, uh, less of an influence on the league than it was maybe 10 years ago, but you're talking about some teams that, you know, played into the postseason last year, 
I think you got certain uh, circumstances, kind of unique circumstances in each place. You mentioned NYCFC. Domi Teron didn't prove to anybody that he could really coach in this league last year, that he had a grasp on, on how to handle his team. Obviously, they lost David Villa. That's a massive hole that they have to fill. They haven't figured that out. The Red Bulls, I think they're probably going to be fine. They'll probably make the playoffs, but they definitely don't look like a supporter shield team right now. And maybe that's maybe that's a hangover. Maybe that's uh, just the way the intense level of play that they like to do. Maybe it's a Tyler Adams size hole for them. I mean, they, they had to replace a, a massive player for them. The Timbers, they went all the way to the final. Obviously, you know about that. So for them, yeah, c- carrying it over. We saw the Sounders year in and year out start real slow because they went to a final. It seems to be the Timbers pl- uh, plight this year. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I appreciate you wearing a King Peach kit. So let's talk about <laughs> Atlanta United. Uh, yeah, with a slow start as well. What's the perception of the club right now from an outsider's perspective? You know, from my perspective, uh, you know, being on the radio every day, talking about this team, talking about where they are, you know, I'm still hesitant to, not, obviously I'm not going to write them off. It's parody, it's MLS, it's seven teams in the playoffs. No reason to do that in terms of at least making it to the postseason, contending for something at some point. But as the weeks go by and they continue to put in lackluster performances, clearly you're going to be thinking, okay, what what exactly is wrong with this team? And I think that what's interesting is because Atlanta raised the bar on everything, right? Because you guys filled up that joint, because there's so much enthusiasm for the team, because Darren Eels talks a big game and backs it up, you get this, this feeling that, they can't let this go on forever, obviously. And there's a standard that's been set in Atlanta, even if it's only two years, that they play attractive soccer, that they score goals, that they make the playoffs, that they contend for championships. And if Frank DeBoer's not delivering that, when does Darren Eels, when does Carlos Bocanegra, when does, does Uncle Arthur say, all right, that's enough. Like, you, we tried, you got a pedigree, you came from Ajax, we know. But now it's building upon itself. It's almost as though... Even if Frank DeBoer might figure it out eventually, the longer you let it go on, the, the the sort of greater it gets, right? It's exponential growth of this issue. Now it's in everybody's head. Now it's not just, well, we got to figure out the system because with enough time, these are good players, they'll figure it out. Now it's like, man, I, we can't get it and we're dropping points and we're dropping points and we're dropping points. And I think Atlanta's, if they really set a new bar, they are going to have to eventually say, okay, that's enough. I just don't know when, I don't know when that is. And that's what I'm fascinated to see. Yeah, definitely. Because, um, yeah, definitely for me, it was for uh, the lack of prioritization on the Champions League. And uh, that's why I think uh, there's a lot of unrest with fans, at least for me. Uh, but uh, in terms of, like, how do you think Frank de Boer has gotten on in terms of, uh, you know, the, the form, of course, is not, not great, but in terms of, uh, you know, speaking with the media and speaking, uh, you know, uh, after games and, you know, talking about MLS. Well, that's the thing. It, you know, what, what Tata Martino had going for him, and obviously Tata had success, right? He, you know, there, there was never a, a stink of failure. Maybe after the playoff failure in 2017, there was a little bit of can Tata do it in the playoffs. And, you know, after one season, that was kind of a ridiculous thing to worry about. Um, and we saw the lessons he learned in 2018 that, that eventually won you an MLS Cup. Tata had this, this kind of charming thing about him. Obviously, there was that, does he speak English? Does he not speak English? And there was a barrier between him and the press that I think gave him a bit of, of, a, of a cushion. And it was only, he was the first coach. It was only two years. Because Tata put that bar up there, and because Frank DeBoer is not 
the most engaging, likable person. Now, he doesn't have to be to be successful, but if you're not winning, you better be able to charm the press at least a little bit. You better be able to convince people, hey, I've got this, don't worry. Just wait for it to happen because it will happen. And when he said, even if he's, even if it was a mistake of the language and he got a little bit wrong, but when he said, oh, these people expect too much, that's a, that's a real bad precedent. And it's gonna be real hard to come back from that unless you start winning games. And that's not happening right now. So, it, it, and they, they can't squeak by. And they can't play possession-based soccer, win one nothing, and get three chances in the game. It's gotta be two nothing, three nothing, four one. They've gotta start putting on that, that Atlanta United shine again. Otherwise, Frank DeBoer, his lack of communication skills is gonna be a major problem. Yeah. And uh, speaking on that, I mean, do you think the fans that are ready to bore out have a right to be calling for DeBoer's head? And then uh, on the flip side, do you think that uh, the ones that are preaching patience uh, have a point? They both have a point. I don't want to. I don't want to sit on the fence. Okay. I mean, I'm not an Atlanta United fan, despite the kit, which was a gift, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I can't tell you how. I can't tell fans how to feel. And I do, again, I think that, that if you are an Atlanta United fan, and I don't care if you're entitled because they've been so good for the last two years, I don't care if people call you that. I know there's all, you know, other MLS fans get real prickly about Atlanta United fans being all demanding already. Oh, you've only been around for two years. No, no, no. Your team set a standing. And they told you, Darren Eels from day one, he walked into the to the, the event then announcing the team when he got hired. Uh, Arthur Blank knew, said he was going to put his money into the team. There was all this commitment. They said, we're going to be big time. We're going to play fun soccer. We're going to play attractive soccer. We're going to play soccer that people are going to want to come see. People came out and saw it. Now they expect that. And if you're not delivering it, it's absolutely fine for fans to say, hey, where's my fun soccer? Where's my winning soccer? That's what I expect because they said it. If this was a, a team that was preaching patience, if they were looking at the fans saying, guys, it's a process. We've got to wait it out. If they were doing a Matias Almeida right now, fine, give him a pass. That's not what they're doing. They're saying, and I know, I know Darren Eels has had to say patience recently, but that's only because the results haven't come. I'm sure they're pulling their hair out right now at the Atlanta United offices because the team's not only not, not winning games, but they're not playing fun soccer, and that's a problem. Now, we can go back in time and say, why'd you hire a guy that does what Frank DeBoer does in the first place? Because maybe that doesn't match up. And I think a lot of people were playing Monday morning quarterback and saying, why did you go from Tata Martino style, get the ball, move quickly, attack, 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 to a guy that is going to pass the ball around the park for, for 75 minutes before he even wants to go after the goal? That's something the fans can ask, and that's 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 a right that they have to demand of the club. Hey, you didn't hire the right guy. We know that after six games or whatever it is, maybe it's time to make a change. Let's not be that team that sits here and waits for it to get better. MLS has the safety net. Everybody knows that. But if you're going to act different, be different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, so in terms of, uh, like, the the league as a whole i mean we've seen strides in global notoriety and respect for mls it's gotten better at least uh, in recent years uh, and i think it's kind of in part uh with the likes of moves like uh, miguel miron to newcastle united and atlanta united bringing in the south american player of the year in pt martinez but yeah what could the league do better even still in your opinion well okay i i've said that if the league is going to make a big deal about the champions league then they have to give the teams the tools to compete in that toe-to-toe. -to -toe. 
with Mexico. You can't say, well, we want to win it, and here's some TAM money, but that's only going to get you 60% of the way there. No, no, no. If you're going to want, if you're going to talk about winning the Champions League and going to the Club World Cup and doing that and representing North America, then actually give them the tools. That will obviously also help just the overall talent level across the league, and that will help the reputation of the league. Selling Miguel Amiron for $20 million or whatever it was is a big step. It has to happen three, four, five more times before you can say it's, a, it's an actual thing that MLS does. Uh, I think selling young players is obviously a major part of this. Tyler Adams is tearing it up. I think and I was talking today on the radio that we don't know yet what the market is for a young player like a Tyler Adams, a teenager who's done very well in MLS. I'm not saying that Paxton Pomacol is going to be Tyler Adams, but he's played so well for FC Dallas this year, and there's obviously a lot of attention on him. I don't know what his value is. Like, I don't know what a European team would have to offer FC Dallas to get Paxton Pomichol. So that's the next step, is determining what the, what the transfer market is for Major League Soccer. MLS has long been too reticent to let go of their talent and let them prove it in Europe and sell players who are ready to go. They're proving that they, they want to sell players, but they're also not going to give those players away for, for cheap prices. So that's, that's kind of where we are. Yeah, definitely. And especially with uh, RB Leipzig, uh, pretty much it's uh, it was perplexing. I think they pretty much got him for free, uh, Tyler Adams. So it's depending uh, on how you look at it. Yeah, sure. Right. Absolutely. Pretty much for free. And uh, so it's it's, uh, it's one of those. Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. Your point is, you know, valid. It's like, you know, what is the actual price of uh, these players? And I mean, with Davies going to Bayern Munich, that's uh, one for a teenager, but uh, maybe for the likes of what do you think uh, a George Bellow or an Andrew Carlton of LA United? Uh, what, what what's their potential? Of, uh, well, look, they they've got to be consistent players at the senior level before we can have any sense of if they have you know value outside of Major League Soccer. There are players, there are teenage players in the world who haven't yet become regular senior level players with their clubs who do get purchased because their talent is just so obvious and and maybe there's a log jam in front of them there's a player an, an older player that the, the coach uh, the manager trusts or maybe there's a lot of reasons for that but that those players generally come from traditional soccer countries they're playing in big five leagues that kind of thing right or they come from a club like ix that has a massive reputation for developing players i think atlanta united is not they don't want to be ix they want to be a winning club beyond mls borders and they want to be a developer of talent. I, I I don't know. I don't know what the policy yet is for Atlanta United. Obviously, they pushed and pushed and pushed for Miguel Miron's price to go up, and they got an incredible number for him. And they've set they set the bar there. Carlton and Bello aren't going to give twenty million bucks. They haven't done it in MLS, but they're obviously talented guys. I I I think that you know every player is different and it's going to come down to internally do they do they see bello as a five-year starter and then they sell him do they see him as a three-year starter and then they sell him is andrew carlton ever going to get regular playing time i mean is there a coach that's going to come in and say you're my guy is that on carlton is it on the on the coach because he doesn't want to give a young player time can he raise his value playing in atlanta united too i i, I those are questions we don't really have the answers to yet Right, definitely. But uh, yeah, I mean, when Frank de Boer was brought in, it was said that we wanted to model off of uh, you know the previous places that he had been uh, you know coaching at, like an Ajax actually. And sure. so uh, yeah, like an Andrew Carlton, um, not really seeing any time when we needed rotation, uh, and 
that's what he was brought in for. DeBoer was uh, kind of lauded as a guy that can bring on uh, younger talent and then sell them on, and that's the kind of uh, model that we want to uh, to you know have in the future. But in this interim, it's been kind yeah. of uh, the opposite. Well, I mean, uh, again, it's so early in the life of Atlanta United that we don't we don't know it. it you have to prove that you can replicate your success year in and year out. And as we've already talked about, there's parities in play for Major League Soccer. So even if you outspend most teams, even if you have had massive success, when a change like a coaching thing happens, when a, when your coach leaves, when Tata leaves, and maybe Atlanta United was prepared for it, but they weren't, you know, they weren't prepared for it as though it was going to be no problem whatsoever, no skips of any beats on the way to, to winning another cup. They, they had to make that transition. Right now, they're getting a, I don't know, a D minus. I mean, we're, we're very close to a failing grade. It's just so yeah. they're so early, we can't say that. So you can talk about being an IACT. You can talk about selling on players. You can talk about being a developmental um, engine and, and that being a, an economic engine for your club so that you can go out and buy a PT Martinez or buy players from Europe, maybe, even. I mean, Atlanta United is the kind of team that you would think can break through that ceiling and go out and spend $20 million on a European player who's 23, 24, 25. But you got to be successful, right? And the, I mean, the fans are still showing up. I don't expect you guys to go anywhere. But that won't last forever if you're not winning games. So all of this stuff is being juggled. And right now, a couple balls are being dropped. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, let's uh, start, I guess, uh, wrapping up to, towards the end. But uh, Flashstar fam, remember to check out Sirius XM FC 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern time on channel 157 weekdays on Sirius XM. Hey, uh, I, I will I will throw something in, and I'll, this is for your listeners, your viewers only. I guess Atlanta United fans. I'm not sure. You guys got hate watchers? I would love it. Do you guys have hate watchers down in Orlando or something? Probably. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, uh, I think we have some uh, DC United fans, perfect. Orlando City fans, uh, lots okay. of people that are, yeah. yeah. Nothing, nothing uh, I don't have a date yet. I don't I don't have any. Okay. I, I'm probably going to get in trouble for telling everybody this, but uh, let's just say 12 to 2 might not be the, the, the exact time very very soon we may be we may be growing the united states of soccer so that's something to look forward to okay awesome yeah yeah i mean uh let us know let the good people know what else you're working on and uh what you're forward to um so i have got a new podcast it's called miscellaneous fc we stylized it it's m-i-s-c-f-c makes it easier for people it's on itunes and all the all the podcast stuff basically it's a show i wanted to do a show that was kind of like Pop culture stuff for soccer. So we don't talk about tactics. We don't talk about scores. As a rule, no scores on the show. We talk about wild stuff that happens. I mean, we talk about uh, uh, Mario Accardi at Inter. We talk about Mario Balotelli doing doing his shenanigans. We talk about uh, we talk about stories from all over the world. I mean, a, a guy in Turkey was cutting people on the field. Like that's crazy. So we spend time talking about that that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun. I do it with my uh, my partner Peter Pa. It's not you know it's not a traditional soccer show. So you're not going to get standings and tables and tactics and stuff. But if you like all that other stuff that happens around the game, it's a, we talk about Atlanta United a lot. I mean, we just talked about Waka Flocka dropping his ring at high at the High Times Festival. So yep. you check it out. It's on, uh, like I said, it's on iTunes. It's on all your podcast uh, platforms. So look for that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, fans, please check out Jason Davis's uh, stuff, all that he's working on. But uh, yeah, that's going to wrap it up. But thanks so much for joining us. And uh, where can the good people find you in terms of uh, Twitter handles or uh, you know anything else you want to plug? 
Yeah, Davis JSN is my personal. You get a lot of soccer, but every now and then you get a drop of me, like the real me coming out. Uh, Miscellaneous FC is, is, like I said, M-I-S-C-F-C. We got a Twitter presence there. And I, I think that's it. Sirius XMFC on Twitter, too. You can hit us up there if you want to say something on the show. I'm always looking at it. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jason. And uh, we'll hopefully talk soon. And, uh, yeah, have a great night. Appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Jason Davis of Sirius XMFC for joining us on the show. What a what a legend. And uh, so uh, let's move on to the mailbag. You guys send in these questions through IG story. Please continue to do so and we might answer your question in the future. First question comes from Danny Boy 100. How do you think we can improve our performance in our matches? That's a, That's a, a bit big general. Yeah. Um, I guess the best thing I can say is is uh, more tr- more training on the system, having players healthy, figuring out exactly what it is that Atlanta United want to do. I think right now that's the one thing you could point to is that most of the players I think have been pulled between multiple systems and what they're trying to do. I think Frank DeBoer has been caught between two minds based upon injuries and the balance of fixtures. I think Atlanta United need to come up with a clear plan and strategy and what they want to do, work on that over the next two weeks, come out against New England and present something that can give fans hope of what they're building towards. If they can't do that, then they're going to continue to struggle, and then more questions will be asked of Frank DeBoer. Yeah, I think also the uh, the confidence going into the matches also is very, very important. So that a little bit is also on the fans a little bit to really support them and the team and really make sure that uh, you know they feel that there's a unifying presence between Absolutely. not only the fans and the club and uh, you know all that. And so, that's so important because... If your own fans are consistently on your back, whether it be on social media, on the radio, and again, fans have the right to be frustrated mm-hmm. and angry if your team is losing and you're not getting Just performances. Just try not to at them. But yeah. adding players and constantly calling for people to get fired, that doesn't help either because now they have their own fans putting pressure on them. And that's something that mm-hmm. we haven't been in the situation as Atlanta fans to do before. But I also really stress that I don't want to see Atlanta United become known as a fan base that, that gets really antsy really quickly. That's a kind of Real Madrid type atmosphere, or sorry, Mark, a Chelsea type thing, where if you have a few results go wrong, the fans don't want the coach to stay around or they turn on the players. And that's not something that we want to have. I think that this club is a great club. It is a proud club with a strong fan base. And I think what really can show how strong a club is, is supporting it through the thick and thin, Mm -hmm. through the darkest times when it's hard. And I don't even think this is necessarily the darkest times, Mm -hmm. but when it's tough, really sticking with the team and backing them when you're in the stands. I think that that really helps. And hopefully if we can give them that energy, they can take that energy from us and put it into their performances and get us those goals and get us back on track. Yeah. But again, though, yes. If it's bad, I understand 100%. Exactly. If, if this form continues, yes. We I will don't. be right there with you passing yeah. out the pitchforks and the torches. Don't worry. Yeah. I mean, uh, but anyway, let's uh, move on to the next question. Evan Hustle asks, we going back to a 3-4-3 now that Escobar is out again? I mean, yes. Uh, like I kind of mentioned uh, previously in the, or, you know, uh, pretty much, well, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Uh, where I said it earlier in the episode, rather, uh, yes, I would kind of hope that uh, Agresso will be played, especially against these lesser teams, uh, you know, at right back and where we can meld into a 3-5-2 very easily. Uh, that, I think, still bodes well. I don't really think 3-4-3 is uh, the, the system that we need to play because in our possible. philosophy, 
having the two midfielders having to work that hard is just not ideal. It's not ideal for any team, unless you have top world-class talent all around the board, yeah. which Atlanta United does not have. Um, I really hope he don't go back to that. I hope he gives Gressel a shout at, at, at right back or right wing back in a 3-4-3. And again, you know, having that fluid motion of being able to switch into kind of a back three when you're in possession, you can do that with Rometty or Lorenowitz or Asiedu. Any of them can do that role, I think. Mm -hmm. There's things that I think, like you said, you can take from what the previous management team did. It's just one of those things where hopefully you can see that improvement against New England. I, I really hope that they don't come out in the 3-4-3 against New England. I think they need to come out in the formation that they want to play and that they want to improve on. If they don't, then we have a problem. Last question comes from Eric Sims 24 What do you think is the biggest obstacle for this team? That is a, uh, a heavy-hitting question. Um, I really don't know, to be honest. Like, it, it's kind of hard to point to one thing as what the yeah, biggest obstacle is. Yeah, there's a lot of factors. Is. Yeah. I'd say if you could, the biggest obstacle right now, I'd say is the lack of an identity. I say I don't think that either Frank DeBoer or this team knows what exactly they want to do. They don't yeah. know what philosophy or what system they want to fully embrace as yeah. their own, as their, this is how we play, this yeah. is how we're gonna come at you. Yeah. I don't think that that's been, been decided yet or been accepted yet. So I, I'd say the lack of an identity is probably the biggest obstacle in this team's way right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that because, yeah, they've said one thing and done another multiple times this season. I mean, saying, uh, you know, that we're gonna, you know, do the, we're gonna, uh, evolution, not revolution, yes, we're gonna, uh, you know, say that 343 uh, is the, and, you know, this philosophy is what we're going for, uh, and then, you know, a couple matches where we have bad results, and it's like, oh, you know, possession isn't everything, and... 433 is now better, it's my yeah. favorite, but wait, I thought 343, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I just, no one seems to know what they want to do, and uh -huh. I think until this team can get that identity back and figure out what they want to be and what they want to do, they'll continue to struggle. But once they figure that out yeah. and, and can pull together and go, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to play, mm -hmm. I think things will start to turn around. But right yeah. now, for me, I'd say that's Atlanta's biggest obstacle. Yeah, I think uh, the second one for me is that we are not getting the ball to Jose Martinez enough. And yes. uh, that's really a main obstacle because, yeah, uh, in terms of chances, He's, I think it's under one chance, uh, you know, XG-wise um, for Joseph Martinez. And last year, I think it was around two, uh, where he was getting at least two chances each match. I mean, that's that's a big difference. Feed and, him the ball, yeah. he will score goals. It's yeah. a pretty simple formula. Yeah, Joseph but, plus ball equals goal. But it's also, though, uh, how do we get the ball to him? And that's really the is main crux. He, is he facing it. the goal or facing away from the goal? Yeah. All of these things go right back to identity, but hopefully we will figure out how to do the first so that the second can happen right. a lot more. Because, yeah, Ezekiel Barco and P.T. Martinez and Julian Gressel have a big part to play in that, and so I think that's all tied together. But... Anyway, that does it for Mailbag. Thank you guys for sending those questions. And that gets us to the question of the day. And yes, guys, we now have a question for you as well. Our question today is this. Those of you on either ends of the spectrum, whether you are Frank DeBoer in or Frank DeBoer out, if you had to make one concession to the other side's argument, what would it be? Hit us up in the comments below to let us know what you guys have to say. And that's it for us today. Remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already, share this episode, and leave us a review and rating so we can pop up higher in your rankings. And for Tanner, I'm AJ. Thanks so much for listening.